awesome song. Well, you guys know, if you've been around Three Rivers long enough, that um, we are not real good at, and, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, um, preaching more topical, um, holiday-y things. We just kind of stick to the text, and so I'm not bashing anybody who does. Don't hear that as a criticism. Um, that's not what that is. Just to expect that you're not going to hear a Mother's Day sermon today. You're going to hear from Acts 3, 1 to 26, right? And so um, that's where we're going to be. And, and I want to say that this passage, um, no greater thing can be said today. Um, no greater thing can be said to these parents and every parent in the room today and every human being sitting within earshot of what is being said this morning. No greater thing can be said to you than this. The aim of your life, whether mom, dad, whoever, is to hear Jesus and obey Him. You can be a good parent according to the standards of a world system, and if you don't hear Jesus and obey Him, you fail. You can give your children, we can give our children every pleasure that this planet offers, every amenity available to them in the Western world, and if they do not see from us how to hear and obey, we failed. One of the epic problems that I see today in our culture is there's this tendency post-World War II to begin to give subsequent generations things they didn't have, right? Parents, depression generation parents began to give the boomers more because they didn't have. That generation began to realize that, well, I deserve that. And then they gave other generations more. And the more we get, the more we give so that subsequent generations don't know what it's like to really be in need. And therefore, we gain a consumer mentality. And we think our job is to give our kids smartphones and iPads and stuff and more. And what we end up doing is we end up hindering their ability to hear the Lord and obey Him. So parents, if you never give your kid a piece of technology, you didn't fail. Hear me. Hear me. As a matter of fact, our children are seeing more explicit things on their smartphones given by parents that are pillaging and raping their souls. And they don't know how to hear and obey Jesus. That's a fail. Okay? And so our text today is about hearing and obeying. So parents, hear me, hear me, hear me. Please hear this. This is, this is vital. No greater legacy than you can you leave than to teach your kids to hear and obey. Hear me? Hear and obey. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. Man, just finished reading for the second time a great book. It's called How the Irish Saved Civilization. We have a tendency to only look at church history from 1525 after. Right? Reformation. And that's all the church history we know. There's a lot that happened prior to 1525. Right? And the gospel propagated under some of the most god-awful circumstances the world has ever known. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have Wi-Fi. Right? They didn't have fans blowing cool air on them. Listen, the kingdom is powerful. And the legacy you want to leave your children, the legacy Three Rivers wants to leave on our little ones is the powerful 
gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You hear? This is vital. This is huge. It's very important not to be overlooked for things that really don't matter. Acts 3, 1 to 26. Now the problem with Acts 3, 1 to 26 is it's verse 1 to 26, right? Um, And so you're thinking, oh God, we will never get out of here today. However, Acts is historical narrative. And historical narrative isn't verse to verse, it is thought to thought. And so, as you know, we're studying Acts and we're giving you an outline on how to study your Bible through Acts. You see on the notes, mitchjolly.wordpress.com, that it's outlined the way you should study your Bible. What do we see? What does it mean? What do we do with it, right? Observation, interpretation, application. Those are the three steps to good study of your Bible, right? You got it? So we're going to walk through this passage. What do we see? What does it mean? What do we do with it? And we're going to go thought to thought. So believe it or not, you won't be here until 2 o'clock. All right? By the way, which it would be okay because everybody's going to be at the restaurants. And you ain't going to make it on time anyway. So you can be waiting until 2 anyway just to get a table. So you're better off. Hey, I don't just preach to 2. That way you won't be waiting in line. Would y'all be okay with that? No. No. Okay. Never mind. So it won't really be that long. Acts 3, 1 to 26. We're going to look at something very important today in this passage. What we're going to notice is that the apostles here don't do anything really special. They simply hear and obey. What we see in Acts 3, 1 to 26 is the disciples practicing what Jesus taught them to do. It's not special. It's not a unique strategy. It is simply them doing what Jesus taught them to do. So our first observation, Acts 3, 1 to 26, is that the disciples obey Jesus' instruction found in Luke 9, 1 to 6 and Luke 10, 1 to 12. Because what you're going to see in this passage is you're going to see two things. You're going to see them heal and preach the gospel. And you think, boy, that's an amazing thing. Where'd they come up with that? Jesus. So, let's, first observation. The disciples are simply doing what Jesus taught them to do. So let's go back, Luke 9, 1 to 6, and let's see what Jesus' instructions are. And then we're going to flip over just one chapter to Luke 10, 1 to 12, and we're going to see something very vital. And by the way, the cool thing about this this passage here is that this can be applied anywhere on the planet. You want to know something cool? The first thing that happened when we went into our country in 2002 in the middle of warfare, bombs dropping, guided missiles hitting, meeting warlords, meeting local people. Do you know what we did? This. And you know what? It worked. It works. Worked past, it works now, and it will continue to work. Why? Because Jesus said to do it. Listen, the beautiful thing about hearing and obeying is you don't have to make stuff happen. Jesus makes it happen. We just need to hear and obey. Does that make sense? This is easy. It really is easy because hearts who love Jesus and have been awakened to life want to obey Jesus. So when we hear what Jesus says and we go do it, supernatural things happen. They just do. They just do. The question is, do we hear and will we obey? Right? Luke 9, 1-6, listen to this. Jesus 
is sending out the 12 apostles in this particular instance. And we pick up in verse 1 of Luke 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's awesome. By the way, remember I told you we're not going to rescue ourselves from the Bible. We're not going to make up things that help assimilate the Bible into a naturalistic worldview. We're not going to do that. We need to have our worldview shifted. You understand? We're not going to make the Bible say things it doesn't say. We're just going to take it and assimilate it into practice. Make sense? The Bible was not written predicated on a naturalistic worldview. Right? It was written in light of the fact that God is and is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Does it make sense? So therefore we live, as C.S. Lewis said, in a magical world. And it really is. The problem in our minds is we've been pillaged and educated in a naturalistic system that questions the existence of anything beyond the physical senses. Right? And so when we read the Bible, we want to start twisting it to fit into that worldview that starts making sense naturally. There is no sense to be made. It is. It's reality. So when Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons and to cure diseases, then, well, He did. He does, and He will. Okay? Got it? Now, that's what it means to be thoroughly Christian and apply a biblical worldview to the world around you. So we don't talk ourselves out of that, and we're not going to look at Acts 3, 1 to 26 and talk ourselves out of it. We're going to assimilate it. Make sense? Verse 2, And He sent them out to proclaim what? Look down at your Bible. You don't have to make it up. What? We're, we're light today. You can talk. It's okay. It's like class. To proclaim what? The kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them out on a mission. Proclaim the kingdom, the rule of Jesus Christ over all things and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. That's dangerous. What house? The house you enter. How do I know to enter the house? Listen to him. Whose door does he open for you? Which warlord? Which diesel Toyota with AK-47s pointing the other way do you ride in? Right? The one he tells you to get in. So I told you to read the insanity of God. Who, who listened to the instructions? Don't raise your hand. Just this, I don't want you to be embarrassed. Go read the insanity of God. IMB personnel, International Mission Board personnel. This is legit real stuff. This really happens, right? So, whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. Make it home base. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. And there's no 5B that says, and they went into themselves and had a small group and debated whether or not they should do what Jesus said. It does not say that. It says, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That's pretty awesome, right? Well, Jesus isn't finished. He gives some more instructions. Now remember, after his resurrection, remember we looked at this prior to starting Acts, Jesus spent 40 days with them, teaching them from the Bible, Teach them how to read their Bible, how to understand it, what to do with it. 
And so in Acts 3, 1 to 26, it's not a surprise that they're just doing what Jesus said. Okay? No surprise. So let's look at what Jesus said in Luke 10, 1 to 12, because in Luke 9, 1 to 6, Jesus is speaking to the apostles, the 12. But in Luke 10, 1 to 12, Jesus opens the circle. And he now sends out more than the apostles. He sends out a wider scope of the people following him. Particularly, in this instance, 72 others. By the way, there's, there's a little fun here. This isn't in your notes. This is fun. I'm in teacher mode, so pardon. If you go back to Genesis 10 and 11, and you look at the table of nations, as you do some counting here, there's some textual variant issues here, all right? And so that's, if you want to learn about textual variants, you come on Wednesday night and we do a little more scholarly type stuff. But if you do some counting, you'll notice the table of nations and the number of people Jesus is sending out here match. That's not accidental. That's Jesus letting you know, reminding you that the Abrahamic covenant, the Great Commission, is that the gospel goes to all people. He's reminding you here what he said in Genesis 12. Because the table of nations, remember Babel, remember I taught you that? He sent them, he made them obey, Genesis 1, 26, 28, sent them all out, and then he lists them, and that's, that's the number. And he calls Abraham, you'll be blessing to all those people. Now Jesus comes back here and says, yeah, I'm going to pick this number of people to remind them that they have a global mission. This is why we understand that the gospel is global, it's local and global. It is not only for here, it is for there simultaneous. Numbers on purpose. That's Jesus did that. He did that on purpose. This isn't an accident, okay? So he picks, because 72, why 72? Because that's the table of nations. He's connecting, connecting you to the story for you to understand his eternal purpose is that all the nations would hear and be healed, okay? Make sense? You tracking? All right, here we go. And the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Is this safe? No. Lambs, midst of wolves, that's not safe. That's lambs in the midst of wolves. Meaning the lambs are going to have to trust the shepherd. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Well, there's so much practical instruction there. You understand, this is Jesus just giving us blow-by-blow blow instruction on how to disciple the nations. You understand that, right? This is blow-by-blow blow instructions on how to make disciples. Here and there. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. The laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. You'll be sick in it. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you leave a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and save in the dust of your town that clings to our feet. We wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Luke 3, 1 to 26. Let's flip over there. What do we see? 
Acts 3, 1, did I say Luke 3, 1 to 26? I think I did. Sorry. Acts 3, 1 to 26. What do we see in this passage in the first 10 verses? What we see here is they are simply obeying Jesus' instructions. Let's take a look at it. Acts 3, 1 to 10. Observation 1. The disciples obeyed Jesus' instruction from Luke 9 and Luke 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Okay? Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. Very simply, our observation is, they heal just like Jesus said to do. Now, we're going to see in a moment they preach the gospel because Jesus told them to heal and preach, right? All right? So what do they do? They're going about their business. They're just going about their business. They're functioning. They're going up the temple at a particular hour. And it just so happens that a lame man is brought there and laid where they typically lay him. And they just so happen to cross his path. So what in the world do they do? They simply do what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to heal. Fix, make right. And they simply obey Him. Well, what in the world does this mean? Well, it means this. Jesus gave us clear instruction on how we are to engage. You don't have to make this stuff up. Healing what is broken and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom are two functions, are the two functions of local and global engagement. These are what we're sent out to do. So what are we to do with this? Well, number one, we're to be reconciled to God and walk with Jesus by the Spirit. These guys were very simply walking with the Lord, going about their daily function. They were in fellowship with one another. And by the way, remember Luke 10? They were going out two by two. He sent them out in pairs. Notice something about Acts 3, 1 to 26. There's two of them. Hey, by the way, in case you don't do any evangelism, it's better and easier with two. Why? Because Jesus said to go out like that. <laughs> it's crazy what happens to the courage factor when you got somebody walking with you, engaging people. It's insane. It's crazy where you'll do, where you'll go, and what you'll do when you got somebody there that you're accountable to, right? So they're just obeying Jesus. They're in fellowship, and in fellowship, they're doing work. By the way, evangelism, the Great Commission, is to be done in community, not isolated. They are together. They're in fellowship, and they are going. They are moving out. We don't seek to improve on Jesus' strategy. Again, we don't have to make this up. And God forbid we fail to simply obey it. 
They simply did what Jesus said to do. Observation number two. Observation number two. Again, verse one to ten. The disciples addressed the need for healing. They addressed the need for healing. Now, this is where you may feel some pucker happen. So relax, okay? Because I don't want your ears barred from hearing. I want you to hear. So hear carefully. I believe it's an error to draw a neat and clean line between supernatural healing and natural healing. That is a function of naturalism as a worldview affecting how we see the repairing of the nations and people. Said another way, I believe it's a false dichotomy we make in supernatural healing and healing that comes from applied and learned means. Is it any less miraculous if one deals with the demonic through thorough and disciplined counseling rather than a demonic confrontation? No. Not at all. Is it any less miraculous if one uses triple antibiotic ointment applied to a wound rather than laying hands on a person and seeing a wound made well? No. And here's why. It's called common grace. Through common grace, God has given to mankind a multitude of kindnesses that help to restrain the fall. See, I don't understand what common grace is. Let me give you an example. Rain. God doesn't cause rain to simply and only fall on Christians. You notice that? Do you understand the science behind rain? It is absolutely miraculous. Think this through for a moment. Does everybody understand that water is heavy? Yet it floats in the air as a vapor. And when it gets to the right temperature, guess what it does? It falls. Just because we understand the science of it doesn't make it any less miraculous. It is a great and grand wonder of God. And Jesus even says this. He says He causes the rain to fall, right? On the righteous and the unrighteous. Why? Because God loves all of creation. He made it. It's under the curse of the fall. And even those who don't believe in Jesus are still broken image bearers. And to restrain the curse of the fall, God gives common grace to everyone. Now, common grace isn't special grace, which is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, but He grants common grace to all of mankind to restrain the curse of the fall. Rain, right? Crops that grow. So the fact that someone applied knowledge to wounds and wound care and various compounds coming together to provide wellness doesn't make it less miraculous. Do you understand where we're going there? Does that make sense? Common grace is as miraculous when used and manipulated by spirit-filled followers of Jesus as when spirit-filled followers of Jesus get to be direct appliers of special grace. Please don't miss the miraculous because you think and observe with a naturalistic worldview. Please don't miss the miraculous because you're afraid you can't do the things the apostles did. Please don't miss the miraculous because you don't join the Spirit on the frontiers of kingdom advancement. See, what we have in 
Acts 3 here, 1 to 10, is Peter and John simply following Jesus in the situation they were providentially finding themselves in and obeying Jesus. Also, don't try to replicate, replicate their situation. <laughs> Luke is simply describing for us how they responded to the Lord's prompting as they were obeying Him in the moment. Meaning, you just follow the Lord and obey the Lord and whatever situation you find yourself in, trust Him to provide what is needed in that moment to heal and preach the good news. You see, you and I should aim to follow Jesus where He has placed us and obey Him in the providential encounters He brings our way on a daily basis. Peter and John are just going to pray in obedience to Jesus' example of prayer. They're going up at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. They're just obeying Jesus' example. They just happen to run into someone in need. They have no silver and gold. Or they would have probably given Him some just to get Him to go away. So what do they do? In the name of Jesus Christ, they bring healing to this man through supernatural means. And by the way, if you look at verse 12 and 16, it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this was done. The healed man praises God, and we see that wonder and amazement fill everyone who see this happen. What does this mean? Well, it means obedience to Jesus provided opportunity for Jesus to be glorified in obedience. You don't have to make this up. I've said it like 27 times, and I'm going to say it 27 more times. They were just obeying Jesus. Jesus taught them to pray. And in this context, it was the hour of prayer. So where were they going to do? Where were they going to go? Go pray. And as they were obeying Jesus' example, there was opportunity providentially provided to heal. By the way, trusting Jesus is power. Trusting Jesus is powerful. Trusting Jesus is powerful, church. Supernaturally powerful. They just trusted Jesus. Remember that natural means of healing are not less than supernatural. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Did Jesus say that... This guy that was beaten up and left for dead was supernaturally healed by the laying on of hands? No. The Samaritan just happened by and paid for him to be taken care of with good medicine. And Jesus said, that's being a neighbor. That's healing. Peter and John exercise this supernatural gifting of faith to be a conduit of blessing. There's a distinction in saving faith and faith as a spiritual gift. Saving faith, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, is the gift God gives to a lost person to believe and be saved. The gift of faith, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, is the supernatural work of the Spirit to give us the ability to trust God to do supernatural and amazing things. And by the way, in our denomination, the failure to emphasize the gifts as supernatural leads to the failure to exercise them as supernatural. One of the giftings of the Spirit is faith, the ability to trust God for this lame man to get up and walk. Look at verse 12 and 16. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, right? Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Verse 16, and his name. 
By faith in His name, verse 13 and 15 tell you that name is Jesus. By faith in His name, He has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus was given or has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. They simply exercise the supernatural gifting of faith to be a conduit of healing. Now that makes some of us super, super comfortable probably. Because we just can't imagine with our naturalistic worldview that God could give us faith to be a conduit of that kind of work. And I'm not going to rescue us from that. We are going to bend our worldview around the Bible, not make the Bible bend around our worldview. Healing accompanies the coming of the kingdom. And it glorifies Jesus as people rejoice in Jesus. As a matter of fact here, we see something used very powerfully in this passage here. Verse 8, and leaping, he stood and began to walk. That language is taken straight out of Isaiah 35. When Isaiah looks forward to the coming kingdom, he prophesies these words. Listen to this. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. What did Jesus do? So many times, right? The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Healing accompanies the kingdom. Healing is part of our ministry. It is part of our work, whether supernaturally or through created means. Healing is part of our work so that when the fall is restrained, people give glory to God. Does that make sense? So when you restrain the fall and you bring healing, it glorifies Jesus. The coming of the kingdom breaks the curse of sin. That's what healing puts on display. The gospel of the kingdom in part is that Jesus fixes and makes straight what the curse has made crooked. And those who receive the kingdom leap and rejoice. Well, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, number one, obey and seize opportunities that Jesus provides you. Obey and seize opportunities that Jesus provides you. This requires discernment and it requires body life. You see, obedience gets tested as we have fellowship with one another through accountability and learning when we fail. Obedience gets tested as we share with each other how we thought we heard and we tried to obey and got licked. Obedience gets affirmed as we obey, experience God's grace and power, and then we share how the power of God was evident when we obeyed. This kind of obedience teaches us how to hear the Lord and His patterns of working in and through us as individuals and as a body. When we do that, others learn to hear and obey as we share our experiences. One of my favorite radical life groups in recent history in the not two distant weeks back was an opportunity that we took to discuss how we each hear the Lord. How do you hear? And how is it you seek to obey? And as we go around the room, multiple people share multiple ways in which the Lord speaks to them. And it's encouraging and building up. And we learn how to hear. And we learn how to obey together. So that as we do meet together, and as we spend time together, we are able to hold each other to accountability and love and a desire to see the supernatural work of the kingdom go forward. 
What else do we do with this? Well, we're to be people full of wonder and amazement at the grace of God. Look at the result. The people were filled with wonder and amazement. It seems like it's just in vogue. Hear this carefully. It seems like it's just in vogue to have a nominal walk with God full of drudgery and barely holding on. We call that just being real. I'm not sure of the diagnosis of what causes it all, though I have some hunches. But it's okay to be filled with wonder and awe as you follow Jesus. Don't feel the pressure to be real. Because you're not walking with Jesus and obeying Him. That's not real. That's abnormal. And I have a feeling most of us in this room, me included, are more happy to be real than I am to feel, be filled with wonder and amazement as I follow Jesus and do the supernatural work of the kingdom. The problem is me. It's not the kingdom. The problem is I'm not quick to obey when Jesus speaks. The problem is often I'm too loud to even hear Jesus and He is drowned out. And when I talk about how things are just not right or it's not going good, we call that being real. And I don't think that's real. I think that's abnormal. That's not how the kingdom is to be. Jesus taught us the kingdom is powerful. As we hear Him and obey Him, Jesus does the work of the kingdom. And by the way, Isaiah forty thirty one is not untrue. Those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. They run and are not weary. They walk and not faint. That's the life of Paul. That's the life we're to live. That's not isolated to Paul. That's available to us now. That's how we are to be living. Does that make sense? And the problem with that is, is we want to look at that and say, well, geez, I just think we've got to explain that away. And we apply false notions to that. And guys, that's no, it's supposed to be that way. That's what distinguishes the kingdom of God from the kingdom of this world. And so often the kingdom of this world is how we live. Jesus came to give us life that was abundant, right? Not life still living under the curse. He broke the curse, right? Or are we just happy to keep it real? And all I can ever achieve is what, well, I can do in my strength. When I burn out, I'll quit and hand it off to somebody else. Is that really what we want? Thank you, Miss George. No, it's not what we want. We want to follow Jesus. I want to live like this. I want this to define my life. And the problem's not the text. The problem is me. Does that make sense? I'm not cool with keeping it real. I'm tired of keeping it real. I want to hear Jesus and obey Jesus and watch Him do what only He can do. My faith grows. I experience what it is to mount up with wings like eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Problem's not Jesus. Problem's not the kingdom. Problem's not the church. Problem's me. Problem is I often don't hear and I simply just won't obey. Because after all, if I obey, well, it just won't work. Because pragmatically speaking, the kingdom just don't work, right? (laughs) If I do what Jesus said, well, that's going to cause X, Y, and Z. I just can't imagine it causing X, Y, and Z, so I just won't do it. But I'm keeping it real. Following Jesus will always be costly. As a matter of fact, as we turn on to chapter 4, we're not going to get there today. You're going to see that obeying Jesus had a cost. We're not looking at the cost today. We're just seeing that they heard, they obeyed Jesus' instruction, healing took place, and then we'll see our third observation here. It's our last observation, and we'll be done. The disciples address the need for the gospel. The disciples address the need for the gospel. What did Jesus say? I send you out. 
You've got authority over demons and, and you have the power to bring healing. By the way, just go back to that. Think this through for a second. Go back to Pentecost. When Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer at that moment in time, think this through. Just, just, just dream with me for a moment. You remember who's hovering over the waters at creation? The agent of creation, Holy Spirit, who brought forth land and creatures at a word, now dwells in you. And Jesus said, greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father. I'm going to send you the Spirit, the Counselor, who will be with you forever. Greater ministry than I had will you have. Those are Jesus' words. Do you believe that? Now imagine with me for a moment that you are just engaging, walking with the Lord, and He gives you instruction. And you're able to apply wisdom to things that are broken and they are healed. That's supernatural, y'all. You ever heard of George Washington Carver? If not, go read his biography. You eat peanut butter because of George Washington Carver. You know what Carver said? When he entered his lab, the Lord speaks to me and tells me what to do with the peanut. I believe every word of that. You have peanut oil. You have peanuts. And by the way, he didn't do GMO. There were no genetically modified peanuts in George Washington Carver. The Spirit of God gave him wisdom on how to manipulate created order that God gave for the benefit of mankind. A follower of Jesus Christ. Not a pastor. Not a preacher. Not a youth minister. Not a children's person. Scientist. Botanist. Glory. Right? There's nobody in this room that doesn't have that same capacity today. Same Holy Spirit in Him. Same Holy Spirit in you. Problems not spirit. Problems me. You have that same power. To heal and to fix and to make right. This is why we talk about domain engagement. Jesus doesn't want you leaving your domain to become a pastor. The model has shifted. The paradigm has shifted. The world will be reached through engaging domains. Spirit dwelling in you, giving you creative, supernatural solutions on how to bring the fall back under the rule of Christ. As he saves people. Okay. What do we see? Observation 3. The disciples address the need for the gospel. And geez, if I read verse 11 to 26, we will be here till Jesus comes. And so we might not do that. Just I'm going to give you what we see here. Verse 11 to 18. Peter and John boldly preach Jesus. There is nothing hidden in what they say. There is bold proclamation of Jesus. Matter of fact, it's so bold that they say things like, You did this, right? You denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murder to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. That's rough. <laughs> By the way, that's, 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 that's hardcore, isn't it? They boldly preach Jesus. Second observation we see here is Peter and John, verse 17, are also at the same time winsome. And their refusal to lay Jesus' death on the people's rejection and their leader's premeditated actions. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that they, Jesus, y'all killed him. Verse 17. However, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. So there's a boldness in their proclamation. At the same time, there's a winsome edge to it. That takes Holy Spirit activity in you. Verse 19 to 21 and verse 26, Peter and John offer the opportunity to repent. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Right? 
Number four, observation. Peter and John used their context well. This is really hard for me here to just not bog down and go missiological with you. They use their context well. They understand where they are and how to speak so that the hearers are able to understand. They are Jewish men and they appeal to their other Jewish people's knowledge of the scriptures to point them to Jesus. Say more about that in a moment. Observation five. Peter and John use the global Abrahamic covenant as part of their preaching of the gospel. So what does this mean? It means we must preach Jesus and not be afraid to be bold. I think we like the idea of healing, fixing things. But Jesus didn't tell us to only heal. He told us to proclaim that the kingdom has come near. There has to be a proclamation of the gospel in our work or it comes up short. Restoration Rome will be worthless if all we do, all we do is fix the foster care problem. It must be the foster care crisis is addressed, but it can only be addressed with the powerful gospel applied to fix broken humans. It's both. Bold does not mean jerk. Bold does not mean loud. Bold does mean that there is nothing hidden and no alternative agenda. Bold does mean you don't sacrifice what you believe for the sake of fake peace. It means you're honest and you're open. You tell the truth. Jesus taught us to operate in the light, not in the darkness. And so much even of our global strategy is operating in the darkness. It lacks integrity. There should never ever be Hiding who we are and what we do. We call it front door engagement. When we went in, our part of the world, we didn't go in hiding. Very clearly, we are Christians and we want to help. And God willing, we'll baptize some of you. Crazy as it sounds, it's disarming. But it's truthful. And people respect the truth more than they respect lies. Even though they're unregenerate. You don't sacrifice what you believe for the sake of fake peace. I told my Muslim friend, my imam friend, I'm going to baptize you. And he laughed. And he told me he's going to convert me and I laughed. He just doesn't know that Holy Spirit will win the day. He will soon, Lord willing. You don't sacrifice what you believe for the sake of a fake peace. That's boldness. You have to know your audience, and you've got to know how to be winsome. By the way, good, great commission work, local and global, takes time. It transcends passing out a tract. Don't hear me, tracts aren't evil, don't hear that. But it does take time to know your audience and know how they hear. It just does. It just does. You live in a different time and age. You live in a different time and age, Rome, Georgia. It's not what it used to be. Never assume the definition of a word. Never. Example. Right? Life. Talk to a naturalist, pro-abortion advocate. Right? Talk to a pro-life advocate who's a supernaturalist. 
and define life, you will get two different definitions. Never assume definitions. You've got to know how your audience hears. In this particular instance, they were Jewish men, Jewish people at the temple. And so they appealed to their ears so that they could hear. Acts 17 should make you nervous. Read Paul's engagement with those unregenerates. He gets in their skin, quotes their poets to their own ears and appeals to them for Jesus through language they can hear. We need to learn to model that in Rome and among the nations. Okay? Get in your context. That's being bold. That takes effort. That takes work. Peter and John also do something amazing here. They offer purpose and vision when they speak to them about the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 24, 25 said, All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. And you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's quoting Genesis 12, 1 to 3. He gave them a vision for their life. The purpose is not just this little temple here. This was to be the outpost of the kingdom going to the nations. The purpose is all the families of the earth be blessed, people. Listen, this is great gospel material. When you're talking to lost people, don't just invite them to get saved. Invite them to live a life worth dying for. Jesus will rescue you from this little world of yours and give you a global purpose. Not only will you not go to hell, Jesus will rescue you for a purpose to live for and die for. That's awesome. So much of life is lived in these little circles of trying to get more stuff and accumulate more things for myself and we're not happy. A great gospel call is Jesus gives you a reason to die. Do you understand that? You were made for eternal global glories. Not to just get as much as you can in Rome, Georgia. And hope you have a job and live safely. What a petty existence. He appeals to this call of Genesis 12, 1-3. That in you, all the families of the earth are to be blessed. So when you talk to people, say, Jesus made you for the globe. Holy Spirit will equip you to speak to people you never thought you would speak to. So start today. Obey Him today. Repent and believe the gospel. Live a life that's locally and globally relevant. That's what Peter and John did. That's being bold. That's being bold. So I say, Three Rivers Church, I say to you, Just simply hear Jesus and obey Him. By the way, there's nothing super profound about that. That's not going to sell books. Nobody's going to come to a conference to hear that. Which might explain why you never hear conferences on that. We spent a lot of time with 5,000 people two weeks ago who want a five-step process to planning a church. And we offered them hear and obey. Not a lot of takers. Because by the way, I just want to say this. A monkey can plant a church. Just do these five things and you can start an organization. But is it the church? Organizations won't cost you your life following Jesus may. 
This is why we say kingdom, disciple, society, church. If we start with the church, we might miss the kingdom. If we start with the gospel, Jesus inevitably builds his church. That's what he promised he would do. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because of the gospel that saves sinners in domains of society and from there Jesus builds his church. What's a disciple? A disciple's person. You know this. You've been here long enough. They hear and obey. No mystery to Acts 3, 1 to 26. Jesus taught them. They did what he said. People got healed. People got saved. And it said people were filled with awe and wonder. That can be Rome. It can be anywhere. Will you hear and obey? And you know what? One of the ways we hear and obey is to hear his word in Psalm 147. One, that's to praise him. It is a biblical command to praise the Lord. It's not optional. So Three Rivers Church, will you praise Him today? Will you worship Him in song and with your life? Praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Let your praise in this moment that is about to take place be the catalyst for you and I tomorrow, this afternoon, hearing Him and obeying Him. By the way, what's the key? You didn't, this is free. What is key? To being in God's good purpose 20 years from now. You ready? Just change your life. Obey Him today. Daily obedience to Jesus guarantees that you will be in obedience to Him 20 years from now. And if you obey Him today, you'll be right where you need to be 20 years from now. Just obey today. Hear Him and obey Him. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that You would give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would speak to every heart in the way that they need to hear you today. There's no doubt that some of these things from Acts have been effective to reach down and do, do your work, but pray that you would go beyond what my pitiful little words can accomplish and, and my pitiful little observations can accomplish. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would you would supernaturally, powerfully dig deep into the heart of every soul to their ability to hear, and would you cause them to hear as you speak? Give instruction, would you please? Jesus said, your counselor, your helper, your guide to truth, you're the one who reminds us of everything he said. You will convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So in every way, speak so that we can hear. And then I pray you would empower obedience. Out of the new hearts that you put in us through regeneration. You said in your word. That I will take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And I will place my spirit in them. And I will cause them to walk in my way. Would you cause us to respond in obedience to what you speak to us today. Con- <laughs> convict us to the point that we cannot ignore you. And that's a good thing. Make that good and taste good. So that we stand in awe and wonder at you.